Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. I am Jimmy Zabo. What a podcast we've got coming up. We've got Nerily Meadows. She's stopping by for a chat. Uh, we'll talk about the latest round of footy, all the major talking points from the weekend, and uh, I'll give you a few sure things to look out for in round 13. Uh, it's Tuesday, the 18th of August. Yep, uh, bloody August. Time flies when you can't leave the house. And the most adventurous party day is taking out the bins. Um, it is the day after our first footy festival is over, though. And the day after Tom Lynch became the most hated individual since Donald Trump was elected. Um, they're both copying it on Twitter at the moment this afternoon. Lynch and his Tigers, they got the win last night. Uh, just got the job done by 21 points. It means we now have to wait a whole long four days until footy is back on TV, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, I reckon I reckon that the footy festival has actually changed our lives. It's given us a possible insight into the future, obviously, of broadcasting. Um But it would have also tested relationships, I reckon, around the country, especially those blokes who have partners who don't like footy and they live in an apartment with just one TV because, you know, I'll use the iPad if I want to watch The Real Housewives. But it never happens, which means there's a constant battle over the remote. But for me, no, it's actually been great. Um, This period really changed my life uh, for my partner and I, uh, for the better, I think. A lot of connection, trust building over this festival. We'll dress up in footy colours for our nightly trips to the couch, have footy-themed meals for dinner, and and it really is just like, being at the actual game and you don't even get fined for streaking it's fantastic but honestly and and sorry for rambling on but i think the footy festival has honestly been great we've had something to look forward to every single night will it work in the future when everything's back to normal that's even possible normal um or will we see footy go back to friday to sunday i'm not sure not sure what i prefer at the moment for the long term but a reason why i am fond of it uh, during this period is it's it's fast track my relationship last night we reached a stage I've dreamed about since I was young, uh, a moment I'll tell my kids about, a moment that will live with me forever and something that, um, well, sorry for getting emotional, but it's something extremely special to me during these tough times. Um, five minutes before the start of the Richmond game, my girlfriend turned to me, she looked at me in my eyes and whispered, want to chuck on the same game multi? And that was it. That's when I knew my life could not get any better. Thank you, Footy Festival. I had a brilliant weekend. And whether your team won or lost, I'm sure uh, footy made you smile at least for a little while over the last uh, few days. So let's kick off this podcast with another punderful round recap and find out what happened in round 12. Yes, Jimmy! The Swans used their foot on Thursday night to record a giant 41-point win. Zach debuted with a goal and 10 touches, while Blakey put on his best display in the nick of time. The young Sydney boys downgraded GWS from row A to row bottom. They're sitting ninth, and it looks like finals will not be a sure thing. Sorry, Heath. Tomahawk was a weapon against Port Adelaide and was Cleary the match winner. Port's Tom couldn't stop him, and not even Jonas or his brothers could help, as they and Houston had problems. Danger signs for the whole night, with Patrick racking up 24 touches and 7 score involvements. Geelong by 60 points. Zerha had a shot after the siren, but needed the bladder to sail through for an extra point. He kicked a goal, but the Roos lost by one. Nick was unlucky, his two majors couldn't get them over the line. The Lions didn't play with pride, and whoever thought Charlie can run on that knee was wrong. Very lucky Brisbane. A good win for Simon as his demons finally hit a ton. They smashed some cold pies at the Gabba, who weren't crisp, brown or noble. Nobody wanted to see more, and Collingwood are practically done. Melbourne by 56 points. Attention, noon's breaking. Hearts on Saturday night. 
as Jack's ripper kick after the siren was as sweet as honey. Josh debuted for Carlton and had four touches, while it was one of the Blues brothers who was the sole man for David Teague's team. Ed was brilliant, but the umps had a shocker. A four-point loss was just so wrong. The Astronauton was back flying on Sunday. He took six marks and kicked six goals as the dogs gavarred up Smoke Crow for dinner. A hunter played a huge part in the process as Luke Beveridge's men pulled off from a clean kill. 56 points was the final margin. Dylan couldn't shield his men from punishment against the Saints as the Bombers were made to pay for their sins. Bad kicking from the midfield, an entire parish was costly, and no episodes of Gleason would help them sing either. Jack proved again he was an absolute steal, and Max King and his good memory kicked goals to help their battle. St Kilda winners by 35 points. Will was the only positive of the day for the Hawks, who were hunted all match by the Eagles. Ryan was flying, Gaff was a laugh, Shepard was peppered with praise for his good performance. West Coast got the win by 32, as the Hawthorne boys would take a D2 to Sicily before heading back to their hub. And finally, Richmond's dark arts and short tempers were stacked and nearly riolied over against the Suns, but Stewart's team would be due for a loss, as Collins and his backline couldn't stop the Tigers' linchpin. Richmond by 21 points. What a weekend of footy. A lot has, uh, a lot has happened since I last spoke to you all, but one thing that has stayed constant and consistent was the opinions. They continue to fly in from everywhere, good and bad, um, even over the time I took off for that footy festival. A few emailed in and told me they enjoyed the guests and the interviews, which I very much appreciate. And because of this, and no disrespect to the others, I've tried to land my best ever guest yet, and they really don't get much more inspirational than this. Let's get to today's interview. Yes, Jimmy! Right, our guest today is one of the most high-profile figures in Australian sports media. She's an incredible professional who has worked her way up through dedication and incredible sporting knowledge and a huge passion for the industry. Her interviews are always brilliant, and her presenting is second to none. Her impressive resume includes appearances on Before the Game, AFL Tonight, On the Mark, and The Footy Show. And today, I'm honoured to have her here on The Gym Session. Welcome, Nerily Meadows. Thank you very much. That was a lovely intro. <laughs> no worries. I'll, I'll start with the standard question. Uh, how's lockdown been for you? You said you had uh, a bit of time on your hands. What's been keeping you busy, though, this um, this period? Yeah, it's been long. I uh, live in Melbourne, so it's definitely been a long period. This is the longest I've ever gone uh, without seeing my family because my yeah. uh, most of my family are back in WA. So mm. certainly had its challenges, um, but I have gone back to uni. Uh, so oh, I'm yeah. doing a short course in mental health and counselling, which is something that I've always had an interest in. So uh, yeah, been busy with that. Other than that, I'm getting bloody good at doing puzzles. Um, <laughs> and I've spoken to my mum more in the last five months than I probably have in the rest of my life, yeah. I think, over the phone. So a bit like everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um, and I can see, yeah, your your, um, your passion for uh, the counselling and that sort of thing, especially with your podcast um, recently. So I've been loving listening to the uh, Ordinarily Speaking. Uh, the name is great too. You've interviewed you. some, some big stars. Gym session's pretty good as well. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I got <laughs> inspiration from yours. But um. You've, you've interviewed the likes of, uh, you know, Nathan Lyon, Dale Thomas, Adam Trelaw. Um, they get pretty emotional as well during these interviews. Is there one that's kind of um, most memorable to you or one special moment you can remember? Yeah, look, they're all um, – they all meant a lot to me and I definitely um, – you know, a lot of effort went into each one and a lot of trust with, with the person speaking. Um, 
it's hard to pick, but I'd say the one with Peter Siddle probably surprised me a lot because I am actually quite good mates with him as well. I There was parts of his story that even I didn't know as a, as a mate of his, and I was really impressed with how deep he was willing to go into his alcohol troubles. Um, so that one really stood out to me. Another one was Sabrina Duffy. She's a, um, a young Fremantle star uh, playing in the AFLW and um, her, you know, her life has been marred by adversity. Both of her parents have struggled with drug addiction and being in and out of jail and hearing her story and her resilience. And she was also the youngest guest that I had. Yep. Um, spoke to her when she was 19. She's now 20. And, yeah, I found that really, really inspiring. And it's been really lovely, the amount of feedback. I, I got an email just the other day by a, a teacher who said he was going to be using that interview as, um, as part of his resilience um, programming for a, a bunch of the girls that he taught. So awesome. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, they're all, all different, very different reasons. But, um, yeah, definitely each and every one of them had a moment um, or, or more where I thought, yeah, that's, that's a pretty, um, you know, special bit of communication. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, you've been through a fair bit yourself, obviously, over in your sports media journey. I believe you worked your way up from 6PR in Perth, I think it was, sports reporter for Channel 7. Then you've gone on to host and appear on Before the Game, AFL Tonight, On the Mark, the footy show. Can you explain your journey into breaking into the sports media world and what kind of inspired you when you were younger to aim for a career, I guess, in that industry? Yeah, so I was about, I grew up in a, in a small country town, a coal mining town, um, which, you know, sport was huge. Um, so I always played a lot of sport as a kid. I, my big goal was to play basketball for Australia. Um, loved Michelle Teams and Tully Bevilacqua um, growing up. And I, I got to the age of 14, broke my collarbone twice playing um, state country and Realised I was um, too short, too slow, and to be honest, not particularly talented. Um, so decided to, to watch sport for a living instead. Um, and so I sat down with mum and worked out what the best um, best pathway was for me to become a, a sports broadcaster. At the time, there was no um, there were no actual courses for sports broadcasting. There were, there were just journalism courses. So we picked the best one. And, uh, yeah, moved to Perth when I was 17 and, and you know, went on my way to, to becoming a, a sports journalist. And everything in uni, even though it was journalism, I sort of tried to tailor everything towards um, sport, which as a woman there was a lot of people who sort of discouraged that and, you know, said, oh, look, there's not many jobs for, for girls in sport, so maybe you should be, you know, having a bit more of a broad focus. But... I didn't want to be a journalist. I wanted to be a sports journalist. So yeah. I sort of, you know, ignored that advice and, um, yeah, eventually got a job, uh, just turned 21, uh, did a lot of work experience and got a job out of that at Channel 7 and, um, yeah, through Perth and Sydney and Melbourne and 15 or so years on, here we are. Yeah, very. And you just said you said you ignored that that kind of advice. What what was the reason you ignored that? Because obviously it's hard for a woman to get into um, you know a male dominated industry like you know, sports. So what made you ignore that advice and keep pushing um, for your goal? Well, I figured it wasn't impossible. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there weren't zero women doing it. Um, you know, there were a, a few, and and I just figured I I could why couldn't I be one of them? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually reading Julia Gillard's book at the moment, Women in Leadership, and um, and definitely 
I'm about to turn 35 and and having a lot of thoughts about what it's like being a woman in male-dominated industries and um, and how hard it is to to progress into a leadership role given how gendered the world is and yeah it's definitely it, it, it it's it's interesting being at this point in my life um, and and reflecting back to when I was a kid and um, and there's so much as a as a girl that was different you know I played soccer with all the boys mm. I was the only girl on the team footy wasn't even on the cards yeah. you know where I was now it's different obviously. Um, I would have loved to have played cricket as, as a young girl, but it didn't even occur to me to do that. I played in the backyard with my with my brothers and my dad. But um, And I came from a family where both of my grandmothers loved sport, mad for it. Um, you know, my nana would talk about the Invincibles and, um, you know, they loved tennis and cricket and footy. Um, so I at least had that example in my life um, and my mum loved sport as well, but... Yeah, you do a lot of reflecting. I'm glad that I did do it, but there's still a bloody long way to go, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to touch on the, the footy show um, briefly, if that's okay. You came in at a well-publicized, you know, struggling time for the program, and some people even said you, you were handed a poison chalice for that role of hosting the show. Um, why did you accept that challenge, and how did you find the experience? We'll be back after a quick break. accepted it because I never want to make decisions based out of fear. I knew that there was a massive possibility it wasn't wasn't going to work mm-hmm. um, or wasn't going to succeed. But I never want to say no because I'm scared of failing. That shouldn't be a motivation for people. How are we ever going to get anywhere if if you say no because because you're scared of failing? Mm-hmm. Um, I figured, yeah, it was an uphill battle, but. If it, if it worked, what a bloody comeback story, mm. you know. Um, and I definitely don't regret doing it because the couple of months that we did do it were some of my most fun experiences working with people that were passionate, wanted to be there um, and loved doing it. I think we put together a really good product that the players and coaches really enjoyed being on. Um, and, look, given, given different circumstances – different name, different whatever, there's there's nothing to say the actual show wouldn't have worked. Um, so I definitely don't regret it. Uh, I learned a lot from the experience. It was definitely a lot more public and, and all those sorts of things. But I never want to be somebody that doesn't take on something because I'm scared and I never want to be somebody that cheers on, on the failure of something else. So I think, you know, people just generally, if, if we all cheered on the success rather than the, the wishing of failure, then it, it'd just be a better place to, 
to sort of be, I guess. That's it. No, that's very inspirational. I love that. Um, but how do you how do you kind of deal with that that pressure? Like you you go on a show, everyone's already critical before you even even get there. Obviously, a lot of people deal with pressure in, in different ways. How do you deal with something like that? Is that something you're thinking about being judged on social media and that sort of thing, or does it not enter your mind? It really didn't enter my mind too much. Like I was aware of it, and I think I was a bit surprised by. <laughs> Just you know, it was it was a week out or something from a from an election or something like that, and and the footy show being axed was front page news, <laughs> yeah. and I was sitting there going, "Hang on, people are going to look back at this time and go, there was a, an election happening. Why is that the front page? Yeah. Like you know, global warming should matter. You know, yeah. these sorts of things. So I think it surprised me. Maybe I was a bit naive in that way, but but I. As far as actually doing the job, no, it never entered my mind, never made me more nervous on air or more worried because I was just doing my job and I was really confident in the in the team around me. Um, like I say, that everyone wanted to be there, everyone was inspiring. Um, we were producing something that was, I think, good TV. And I've worked in a lot of TV, a lot of different stations in different states and um, some in, in other parts of the world. And I, I think I've after the amount of television that I've done, I think I've got a pretty good understanding of when they're, when it's actually good TV or not. Mm. And and that doesn't necessarily equate to, to inverted commas, success. So I, I never um, worried about that from do, you know actually doing my job, yep. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. It will obviously show a lot of resilience. And even at the end of last year when you, you were faced with the difficult situation, uh, you left Fox Sports and unfortunately due to social media and the news outlets these days, there's a bit of speculation about you and that sort of thing. But your response to that was, was really impressive and seems like nothing phases you. But was that, a, was that a difficult time in your life? Oh, no, it's definitely challenging. I mean, I was that... I was there for 10 years, mm. so it's a massive chunk of my life and inherently the role that I was doing, you know, a lot of cricket and, and footy and those sorts of things, I, I missed pretty much every Christmas, every Easter, every weekend. There's there's a lot of personal stuff that, that you give up and that's not complaining. Mm. I, I love my job. I have no issues giving that up, but inherently the job does impact your personal life. Um, so what it, it does feel personal when something like that happens. Um and it's taken me, you know, a lot of time to, to work through what happened um, and particularly, you know, with, with isolation. Like I was able to move on pretty quickly with work at the start of this year with the Super Bowl and yeah. Australian Open and Women's World Cup and those sorts of things. But when all of those opportunities obviously were taken off the table with, with the pandemic, um, I was, you know, forced to, to really deal with a lot of the stuff that happened to me last year and it was incredibly challenging. Um but I'm really lucky in that social media for a lot of people represents a, a really negative space. For me, social media has been 99% positive. Um, I've got a lot of support from people in the public and that's definitely helped me. Yeah. Um, total strangers saying really lovely things to me. So that was definitely um, helped me through to, to feel like I did contribute something and did put something out there that people valued. Um because I think that whether or not you know someone or not should not impact whether their opinion matters. I think it's whether or not they're saying things that line up with your values. Mm-hmm. So if a total stranger says something to me that lines up with my values, I think that should mean something to me as much as if it's a family member or a friend, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I had, I had a, 
good mate of mine say to me, you know, you need a few setbacks so you've got a story. So (laughs) hopefully it's just all part of the wider story and, um, and it all works out in the end, but no doubt it was, it was bloody difficult Mm. and and it's, you know, it's still, still difficult for sure. Mm. Uh, You touched on it before, but you are a huge role model for aspiring journos and sports media professionals around the country, especially for those females. Um, Do you have one piece of advice or one message that, that can help them? I would say, uh, listen to, to people. When somebody says something, make sure you actually hear what they say. Um, and, yeah, I, I think if you're just starting out, make sure you're doing all the work experience and all those sorts of opportunities. But I think just believe in yourself but, but never be too arrogant that you don't you don't hear someone else out. But, you know, there are also things that people will say to you along the way that you know in your heart of hearts are wrong, so that doesn't necessarily mean you should take it on board. Um, but, yeah, definitely do try and listen to people, particularly, um, you know, young men out there. If if a, if a woman says something, like, hear them out. Um, don't immediately assume that that they're sort of complaining about it. Actually take the time to, to listen to their experience um, and maybe ask yourself, what can I do better to, to make things better? And particularly boys of, you know, your generation, like you've got such an important role um, to help empower women and um, and be teammates rather than, you know, have, have power with rather than power over. Yeah, yeah, love that. Uh, as, a, as a Fremantle supporter uh, on the weekend, how did you cope with Saturday night? <laughs> Must have been some nervy times late in the game. You know what? It was... <laughs> It was hard to watch. I was happy for Jack Nunes because he's a he's a you know good good young bloke, and I was uh, it was just an amazing kick. Whether you think that the freeze ahead of that were you know were fair enough or not, it was an incredible kick under immense pressure. Yeah. And straight afterwards, you know what I thought? I thought there's a lot more Victorian Carlton supporters that needed that than West Australians right now. <laughs> so I was willing to, yeah. to accept that in a year where, you know, finals are probably not the end game where, mm-hmm. where um, you know, we're trying to to bring up a bunch of kids and and, um, and get to that next next phase. So I actually, I, I was happy to be happy for, for Carlton supporters, which maybe that makes me sound... Um, unpurple, but <laughs> I, I just I think Victoria needs all the positivity they can get at the moment, and Western Australia they're fine over there. <laughs> yeah, definitely good. Looking at the bigger picture, I like it, and the bigger yeah. picture for Frio now looks pretty good too. I think you must be pretty happy with with the Dockers how they're going under under Justin Longmill. Yeah, look, he seems like a really great, humble bloke um, that's mm. got the right ideas for the culture of the place. And yeah. I must admit, I'm I'm more excited about the kids now than I've been since sort of 08, 09 mm. when um, there was a lot of, you know, young, talented kids picked up like Walters and Fife and um, Morabito, even though he never went on, he definitely could have if he didn't have all those knee reconstructions. Stephen Hill, um, that crop of blokes around that age, um, you know, were the, the sort of core group that, got to the 2013 grand final um, and, and a bit of success around that. So I think the, the young guys now, Chera, Brayshaw, Sarong, you know, there's so many of them that I think that the core group is there again. So it, it is actually pretty exciting, yeah. hopefully in a few years' time, if they all stick around. That's right. They're looking good. But they, they can't win the flag this year, obviously. But who, who do you think will win the flag? And, you know, I'm a Richmond supporter, so be – be very measured when you when you answer this because mate, we're, you've we're... had enough success. Um, <laughs> I... We've had a bit of pain too. <laughs> 
I think it's going to be interesting with finals and grand final likely to be in Brisbane yeah. um, or Queensland at least. I mm. think um, that gives, yeah, Fags boys a, a real real good shot at things. Um, I think West Coast are obviously, you know, up and about after a bit of a slow start. Um, yeah, and and you, you can't you can't rule out Port Adelaide either, obviously, <laughs> the way that they're going. But, yeah, I, I just I feel like with the hub situation and everything, the Lions could be a, a mm. really good good chance of coming home strong. Definitely. And they were impressive last year, but they were playing a different style of footy. This year, they've been more direct. They've played more exciting footy, more consistent footy, and they're starting to score as well. So they are. I think they're our biggest threat. I, I still think the Tigers can do it, but I think the Lions are the biggest threat. The big thing for the Tigers as well is that they've had so many outs with injury mm. and, um, you know, and if you can still get wins on the board when, when you're facing that sort of adversity, it always puts you in pretty good stead for the back half of the year. But, yeah, we're all going to remember that, what was it, eight, eight in a row at the MCG last year <laughs> to finish the season? So I'm not sure how hard life will go for the whole season. That's right. We've been pretty good. We've been pretty good up at Queensland, so it's not, not too bad. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Ten quick, uh, quick fire questions for you to end off with, if that's okay. No worries. All right, let's do it. Number one, uh, your favourite food, Nez? My favourite food. Look, if I could eat it every day and not get super, super fat, I'd have really good pasta every pasta, day. Yeah, yeah, love it. Do you make your own your own sauce, or is there a particular one you like? Carbonara, bolognese. Yeah, I like to make my own sauce. I love a really good spaghetti marinara. Yeah, um, nice. those, those sorts of things. But yeah, I quite enjoy cooking. Um, yeah, but I tend to go for the old zoodles because it's a bit healthier. <laughs> yeah. Especially in isolation when I'm not moving oh, much. Definitely. Uh, Favourite movie? Uh, Forrest Gump. Doesn't matter how many times I, <laughs> I watch it, if I flick to it on the on the TV, I somehow end up watching it to the very end again. <laughs> Tom Hanks is the greatest actor um, ever seen and anyone who wants to argue with me has to come up with somebody who makes you care about a volleyball as much as he does. There you go, very nice. Uh, which, out of all the sports, so you've got your AFL, cricket, tennis, basketball, even NFL, which has given you the best experience? Get to choose one. Oh, the best experience. I've never been asked that. That's a good question. <laughs> Um, the best one-off experience uh, is different, but I would say overall, the mates and camaraderie and storytelling out of cricket and mm. being on tour is unrivaled because you've got so much time with rain delays and you know fielding and all that sort of stuff that there's just so much time to build relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Good one. But the NFL, quickly, that was amazing to go over there. Yeah, the Super Bowl was unbelievable. And I spent six months living in the States um, as a student. So ever since then, I've, I've just bucket list was to go to the Super Bowl, even yeah. before then, but definitely once I lived there. And, um, you know, you talk about things like what happened at Fox. Look, if that didn't happen, I never would have gone to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, you, you take some wins out of adversity. And, and that was one of the greatest experiences of my life and, I, I frequently have reminded myself or gone back and looked at photos during this lockdown period to remind myself that that was also <laughs> yeah. 2020, so it's not a total write-off. That's right. Year. Yeah, good. Sorry, this was supposed to be quick fire, but I was interested about that. <laughs> best uh, Number five, best holiday destination, and I know you've been on a few. I love travel. Yeah. Um, Jamaica was one of my favourite places I've ever gone to. Would highly recommend it. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, I, I would say Raja and Pat um, in West Papua is just a phenomenal, phenomenal place and um, one of the, yeah, couple of weeks of my life that I will never forget. Yeah, brilliant. And if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Would it still be here in Australia? Uh, it'd be fun to go and live somewhere else in the world for a while. I could imagine myself one day, you know, just going and living in Italy and just mm. eating all the pasta in the world <laughs> when I no longer have to worry about whether I'm, you know, half decent looking or on TV and in HD and all those sorts of things. Just go and get fat living in Italy would be pretty fun, I reckon. It would be fun. Uh, your favourite footy player of all time? Probably have to say Tony Modra, I reckon. Oh yeah, nice. Um, um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. And you know what? I'll give a special shout out, and and people will think I'm a bit crazy for this, but to go to a game live, Hayden Valentine is one of the great <laughs> players to watch because it's all the stuff that he does off the ball. That kid ran harder than anyone just to get on the end of it. Um, and you, you always see him in the highlights how exhausted he is yeah. after every goal he kicks, and it's because he busted an absolute gut to get there in the first place. So the things that you don't see on TV, he was always really fun to watch. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Um, oh, lots of people inspire me. Um, my parents inspire me. My best mate, um, who no one knows about inspires the hell out of me because she's overcome so much adversity in her life and I often think if, if she's, you know, still kicking goals then, then anyone can. Um, and, and my brothers massively. My, my oldest brother um, had a dream to play hockey for Australia and um, he, he, you know, didn't achieve it until he was, he was 29 but he achieved it and I think that's, that's super inspirational sports people who, who reach their goals at at an older age and then my other brother is an actor and that's one of the hardest mm. you know industries in 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 the world really yeah. to, to be successful at and he's, he's been pretty successful that's not short fire and it's no one that anyone knows but they they inspire me yeah love it uh second last phone call or text what do you prefer oh phone call i reckon and yeah. i hate emojis <laughs> yeah, eight emojis. All right, cool. I'll keep that in mind when I send you a thank you message. Um, last one. If you're allowed to pick an unlimited spending voucher for any store or shop in Australia, what would it be? That's hard. Can I, oh, maybe like something travel related? Travel related. Like, um, yeah. Like I, I, can, I can tell you if I had a, if I had a um, superpower, it wouldn't be like invisible or flying or anything. It would be um, and people may have guessed it by listening yeah. to this already. It would be the ability to eat without getting fat <laughs> or unhealthy. <laughs> so just yeah. eating until the end of time. Yeah. How much fun would that be if you just eat whenever oh, it would you want be to and not have to worry about the consequences of it? I know, and I've got an Italian background, and my nonna cooks the best pasta, so I can definitely oh, relate. Oh, well, when, when the lockdown's over, nonna needs to cook me some pasta. 100%. Don't worry, it's a deal. Done. <laughs> Perfect. There's, that's everything. I can't thank you enough for coming on and having a chat. Uh, you're an outstanding professional and an inspiration to me and many others around Australia. Thank you so, so much. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Nearly Meadows there. What a champion. Love her work. She's always very generous with her time and her opinions. I really enjoyed that.
Something I didn't didn't enjoy was Tom Lynch's actions last night. Now they were bad. They were they were terrible. You don't want to see it. Okay, and and we know that Tommy plays his best footy when he's angry, likes to play on the edge, and that's instructions from Dinama. It's um, very much spoken about. It was spoken about last night. You play on the edge. He went over the edge last night. Whether it was a closed fist punch or a push um, to the sternum, whatever it was, it wasn't a good look. Didn't like it. And a couple of weeks back. He had that action as well where he got fined. It wasn't good. You don't want to see that. Um, but at the same time, the abuse he's copped online is it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I shared um, I shared a video of uh, of Collins after the match pacing up and down, and he got a fair few um, reactions and a fair few... It was one of the earlier ones, so a lot of people um, retweeted it. So I saw all the comments from everyone, um, good and bad, mostly bad, and the things they were saying, even about me, I had nothing to do with it just because I'm a Richmond supporter. But he was copping it, left, right, and center, Tommy Lynch. Now, the thing is, the AFL has set the mark for suspensions. Uh, with the decisions that have made over the past few seasons, we have seen that actions mean close to nothing. Incidents are based on the outcome. We know that. If there's no injury, there's no suspension. There is no medical report to go with Tom Lynch's hit on Collins yesterday or Arts, so he simply can't miss weeks. Um, he'll cop a fine, and he well and truly deserves it. We don't want to see it. I want to be clear about that. But the AFL shot themselves in the foot when they got rid of that three-strike system with the fines. So it, it means nothing that he got a fine uh, previously. This is a separate incident. Is it enough for a week? No, it's not. If the AFL do it, if they suspend him for a week because of this outcry from social media, um, the AFL gradings and system cannot be taken seriously anymore. Um, it can't be one set of rules for one player and another set for another. I'm happy for them to completely rewrite the, the rules at the end of the season, leading into next, the gradings, whatever they want to do. But you can't flip-flop during the season. Like we've seen, you know, with the holding the ball interpretations, rules in the past, and suspen suspensions for breaching protocols, sling tackles. It's flip-flopping all the time, and it's not good. It's not consistent, and it's a joke. So I hope they're consistent with this. He deserves a big whack, a big fine, but not to miss a game for that. Um, didn't like that. I um, It reminded me, though... Um, I liked Collins' division after the game. I liked that he was angry and he was pissed off that, that he didn't get the job done and that, that he wanted to do more or whatever it was. He was upset with the loss, and that's what you want to see, that he cares. He cares for the club. He cares for a loss. And then it reminded me of, the, of what we saw on the weekend, and Gary Lyon talked about this last night as well, was, was Frawley having a laugh, the Hawks having a laugh with their opponents, even when they were getting absolutely smacked. Um, and it showed, obviously they care. There's no doubt they care, and it's a different... Footy's evolved a lot, and Luke Hodge talked about it this morning. I was interested to see what he thought about it because he was the leader of the Unsociable Hawks. Um, he, he told a story about how he got absolutely um, smashed by Clarko when he went and picked up an opponent, I think it was Chapman, um, because he said, no, we don't do that. You guys play your best footy when you're angry, um, when you want to take out your opponents, you want to you know, concentrate all your energy on just being a menace towards them. That's when you play your best footy. And that's when Tom Lynch plays his best footy. And uh, so to see Hawthorne having a little giggle with their opponents and that sort of thing mid-game, I didn't like it personally. Now, I know footy's different to what it was back in the day. And I'm not... You don't go all the all the other way, you know, some blokes ring up. I don't want to see you smile this week. Don't eat until you win. You know, that sort of stuff. Like, don't go too far. But you don't want to be having a laugh with your opponents halfway through a game. Surely. Um, I didn't like it. I don't know what you thought, but hashtag the gym session. Let me know um, at Sabo James on Twitter. And yeah, if if you if you disagree, yeah, chuck me some abuse. Jack the Ripper 
on the weekend. Jack Nunes, that is the greatest kick. And I'll get through these talking points pretty quickly because we had a great interview with Nez. And um, I don't want to keep you here for too long with, uh, with footy coming up pretty quickly on Friday as well. But the most entertaining finish to a match we've seen in 2020, uh, definitely Carlton and Frio. But Jack Nunes' kick was the greatest goal after the siren since Malcolm Blight's bomb in 1976. So it's a wet, heavy ball. Cameraman's in his way. He's got a hostile crowd next to him shouting abuse. An almost impossible angle. The wrong side for a right footer. And his entire supporter base and the finals chances are resting on his shoulders. And he kicks the goal. That is brilliant. Stuff of dreams. And um, yeah, he shouldn't have had the ball. Gibbons should have had it. There's no doubt. But it, when you're watching Nunes with that ball, ball in his hands at that time, you're free of support. You're sitting pretty confident. He missed one from about 15 metres out in the third quarter. And uh, I don't think anyone expected him to kick it. Not even the most optimistic Carlton supporter would have expected him to kick it, and he did. Um, so that was brilliant. I loved that. That was my highlight of the weekend, definitely. And that was a highlight for, as Nez said, a lot of Carlton people in Victoria needed that. It was a moment of joy, and um, I think we all in, enjoyed that moment, except for Fremantle fans. Um, I think they'd be pretty distraught and pretty upset with the umpiring, but uh, it was a good moment for everyone else. Um, I think Geelong, who I saw on the weekend, they... They were never, in hindsight, it's easy to say in hindsight, but they were never going to lose that game. I think Port Adelaide's win over the Tigers looked a lot better than it actually was. And the fact that the Tigers were missing a lot of key personnel, especially in the middle, where Port smashed them in the clearances, centre-bounce clearances especially. And so the Tigers were having to work the ball from the back line um, for the majority of the game. And you always, you know, you never give yourself a good chance of winning the game if you've got to do that. The Port Adelaide, they were fantastic against the Tigers. They've been great this year. They're sitting on top. Um, they've been consistently good. But I think they thought maybe they were a bit better than they were. And I think a lot of pundits and people thought they were better than what they actually are. And Geelong kind of reminded them that, hey, this is what you've got to compete with come finals time. So there was that always that expectation that, you know, Chris Scott, he likes to keep something up his sleeve. He doesn't like to show all his cards, which he never does. But he identified what are we going to do, do to stop Port? They're going to be concentrating on center bounce clearances to give themselves the best chance, obviously, um, in the forward line, quick entries. That's what you want. They play fast and ferocious footy. So Geelong mixed up their... Um, their personnel in the middle. They won the centre bounce clearances in the first quarter. They were in, finished the night plus twenty three contested possessions, plus fifty five in marks. So they just kept it was keepings off. They kept the ball off port. They were plus ten inside fifties, plus ten in shots at goal, and they won by sixty points. Uh, they they took eighteen marks inside fifty, and Port managed just two for the entire game. So I mean, playing that man behind uh, the ball in defensive half stoppages obviously helped along. I mean. I can go on forever, but I, I think Chris Scott is a is a fantastic match day coach and he can change up his plans. It's hard to identify when you look at the catch, you're like, how how can we beat them? They don't have one, you know, massive weakness. You look at Port, they're young and they play one way. They go hundred percent each game, they're just playing fast footy. They don't change it up as much, they don't have, you know, many plans to to counteract what happens on a game day. And I think it, it showed that a more experienced coach was able to win the uh, win the game on the weekend. So Geelong, for me, there's no reason why they can't win the flag. They finished minor premiers last year, and I think they're a better team this season than they were last. So it is dangerous. I said earlier, I think Brisbane are a huge threat. I think I'm still going I have to go with the Tigers. I know I'm biased. Tigers are my number one for the flag at the moment, followed by Brisbane, and then I think the Cats. 
you know, I think even West Coast away from Perth, they're not as consistent or not as powerful as the Cats for me. That is my opinion. I want to know what you think. Um, touched on Norton briefly. And he, his first six, of the ga- six kicks of the game were six goals. And it's pretty efficient. That's what you want. Um, that was his uh, career-best goal tally. He had eight score involvement as well. But the most important thing for the Dogs was their leading goal scorer was Mitch Wallace with 16. 186 centimetres. He's not a key forward. He's kicking goals. He can take a mark. He's got a great goal sense. He's exciting up forward, but he's not your key forward. And Josh Bruce, he was managed on the weekend, but he kind of proved that he's not you know, your number one key forward. You can't rely on him week in, week out to be the number one man down there. So Aaron Norton, he took it. This is my forward line. This is what I want. I want to take this by... And I know they played the Crows. I know it's not going to be that easy every week, but he showed that he's got the talent and the ability to do that. First game back and to take the marks like he did, um, I think it's very exciting for the Dogs. So they've got they've got a decent chance to push for finals. Um, I don't know if they can... They can cause mischief in finals. I don't know if they can... They can go any further than they did last year, but but uh, they'd be pretty happy, I think, the Bulldogs fans with that. Essendon, they are they're done. The finals are over for me. I've, I said it a few weeks back. I wanted them to make it. I wanted them to um, because I've been we've been waiting, and I don't like honestly. I'm not just saying it. I don't like it that you know Essendon fans cop it um, year after year since the early 2000s. has been limited success, but uh, once again, they just. It was a spiritless performance, I think, on the weekend. And injuries, were, they were always going to make it hard. Um, but to put up that kind of effort, I think, is um, it's disappointing. The forward line isn't functioning well. And you can look at that just by the stat sheet. I mean, they had, uh, what, six more inside 50s than the Saints, and they lost by six goals. You know, if you're going at an efficiency rate of 19% inside 50, so they've, they've had, what was it, eight shots from 43 entries. That's not good enough. You can add Joe Danaher, Jake Stringer, Fantasia to that list. Does it improve? It would improve, but not that, not by that much. So I think you put a line through Essendon. Um, you can add them to the list of, of teams you put a line through. Charlie Cameron. Um, he was, yeah, he's performing. On the weekend, I found it I found it staggering, really, the, the comments that came after. Now, David King and, and Lee Montagna, they've been out in the, on the AFL um, field in the heat of battle, and I haven't. Um, so it's hard for me. I can't just keep going disputing what, what other people say if I haven't been in that situation. But for them to make comments about Charlie Charlie Cameron, I'll just read a quote from where is it from David King. Today he waltzed around. He wasn't interested. It was disappointing for a player. They have invested a large contract in and with, with a significant finance attached. Right? And then Lee Montagna, I think it's important to know the difference between being sore and having an injury. A lot of players play sore. For the medical staff to declare him fit, he's just sore. Yeah, I think it was disappointing because he didn't have the best game. That's fair enough. How many, what did he get? Two two kicks or something? Um, didn't play well, but he took a big specky at the start of the game as well. Um, but I think he tried to play through it. And they may have forgotten because they were questioning, you know, where's this corner? It's incumbent on a player to mentally handle to be able to play sore. And you've got to question whether um, there was an opportunity for the Lions to say, you're sore, but we need you to perform because what happens if it's a big game, right? What happens if it's a big game? I think they seem to have forgot last year in the in the semi-final, in the opening quarter, opening minutes, Cameron um, hyperextended his elbow, got it caught between 
uh, Lockie Neal and Phil Davis. He went off, got it strapped, came straight back on, took a huge mark, kicked the goal, kicked two for the game. He can play through injury. He can step up in big moments. I think to question him and and make him sound like he's a player that can't handle being banged up or, or he's soft or not committed to his clubs or his teammates, I didn't like it. I wasn't a big fan of it. I respect their opinion. They've been there and done that. But I think to paint him in that way was not fair to him, especially when he's proved in the past that he can step up in those moments. He shouldn't have played in hindsight, but at least he got up for that game and tried to push through. A few questions I left um, at the end of my piece yesterday, my great hate debate, was was a couple of debate questions um, that I had. And I want to hear your opinions, whether you want to email me or, hashtag, or jump on Twitter or you know, whatever you want to do. Um, the Swans looked incredible against the Giants last Thursday. There's no doubt. Although GWS looked equally as bad. Um, so was it a good win for the Swans or a bad win for GWS? Because there's a lot of, like the Swans, were, they looked fantastic. They were great. And they deserve a lot of recognition for what they've been able to produce with that list, with those injuries. And John Longmire's done a fantastic, fantastic job. But I think GWS made them look a lot better than they were. The effort from GWS was really, really um, pathetic. It was non-existent, really, throughout the match. Um, they failed to, you know, consistently attack. Uh, delivery inside 50 was just ugly as it gets. They had 19% efficiency as well. 10 shots from 52 entries. 10 shots. They got three goals for the game, and they all came from decisions from the umpires. So, uh, dubious decisions as well. Um, without them, they may have even even failed to score a single point. And the, and the final score for the Giants was 25, which is their equal lowest in history. They scored that in the in the grand final. But um, Rewalt put a line through him. He said, he said, uh, he didn't mince words. They can't win the flag. Bang. Quote. Uh, I don't think they can either, to be honest. After that, the second game, the Demons thrashed Collingwood. I think Collingwood were just as bad as the Demons were good. I think the Demons looked a lot better than better than what they actually were. I think the Magpies were just terrible. And you look at the effort um, from the Pies defenders as well. The Dees totaled 100 points in a match for the first time since round 16 last year. And I I really don't think... I mean, you can yeah, you can say, oh, well, the Collingwood are missing a lot of players. But their system was just was just shocking and when you look at the vision um, behind the goals as well the work rate wasn't there they were getting lost they looked disinterested they looked beat before they even got on the ground so i think that the d's there was some of them some uh journos have suggested that they they've showed indication that the their potential finals i don't think they are i think that the pies just didn't show up to be honest and um I think John O'Brien said it last week. I can only imagine what he's going to say this week. You can put a line through the pies. They won't win the premiership. Um, even when injuries come back, if they're saying, playing that sort of footy, they've, they've had problems with the kicking a score in the past, and I don't think it's going to change when, when players come back. They might be able to defend better, but when you can't kick a score, especially come finals, you won't be able to win many games. All right, I think I've uh, rambled on a fair bit. Now, we're going to end off with some three short things for this weekend. Um... I didn't even write these down. So off the top of my head, I'm going to say Dreamtime at the G will be fantastic. I think playing at TO Stadium um, will be will be a hit and it will be penciled in for years to come. I think that's a fantastic idea from the AFL. Um, I can't wait for that. And I think it's, yeah, it's something we'll see for, for a while now. Second thing, um, if Tom Hawkins doesn't get managed because we know Chris Scott likes to do that with his players, he will kick a bag, a bag of eight plus. He's unbelievable one-on-one. His display at the weekend was phenomenal. Um, just 
And the delivery as well, dangerous delivery. I mean, there was one one-on-one that was just found impossible to stop. Um, Tommy Hawkins, they're playing Adelaide, the Cats, and he'll, he'll kick a bag if he's playing. Last one, Frio Swans game will be the lowest scoring game of the season, I reckon. Um, don't think it'll be bad. I'm not saying it'll be bad. I just think if you're betting, you put that one under. So choose under option because I don't think that's going to go over um, the set line of points. Um, it should be an interesting one, but I don't think it's going to be high scoring, that's for sure. Guys, I've, I've, um, I've had fun today. I really appreciate you joining in and having a listen. Hashtag the gym session um, for all your feedback and abuse. Um, at Sabo James is my Twitter handle. And if you want to email me, james.sabo at sportsmatemobile.com. Um, Nerily, thanks for coming on. She was fantastic. We talked a lot of footy. And I've also got another project coming up this Thursday, doing a pilot for a new pod um, with an old lecturer of mine. So I'll let you know more info about that. And unless your team's playing Richmond, I hope they win on the weekend. And until next time, take care of yourselves.